Welcome back to the Change Your Filter podcast. I am your host, Tall Paul, and we are powered as always by Contractor Commerce. Big shout out to our friends at ACCA for having us out to Baltimore to the uh, fall meeting for ACA. We got to interact with ACA members and give a presentation on what we're doing for online shopping, and it was awesome to connect. And I ate like real crabs for the first time. So that was an amazing experience. Thank you to everyone that stopped by and came to the presentation. Today's guest is Vince Hauser from Absolute Services in Kentuckiana. That is actually a place, Kentuckiana, so think kind of Louisville metro area. In this episode, Vince shares his stories and experiences growing Absolute Services from under $1 million in revenue in garage doors to over $17 million in just a few short years through adding services like HVAC and plumbing, and I don't believe any acquisitions. It's really remarkable what he's done there. Um, He'll share how he 2X'd his average tickets overnight. Uh, He'll share about how he was being robbed blind by his plumbing department, and he had to let everyone go. I think this was like not long ago. And he'll talk about how CEO Warrior helped him accelerate his growth and, and the things he learned through that program that he's still involved with today. He'll also share some of the biggest mistakes along the way. And then finally, Vince will share the building blocks that he's focusing on to scale his business in Louisville to over $100 million in the next three years. Please enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Vince Hauser. Hey, this is Vince Hauser, and you are listening to the Change Your Filter podcast with Tall Paul. Vince, welcome to the Change Your Filter podcast. I'm glad we can finally connect. Thanks for having me. So there's a lot of things I want to talk about. I, I want to tell the the story of your growth, you know, since I've met you just over the last couple of years. But I also understand you have started a new PO process at the company. What led to that? Tell me, uh, tell me about your new PO process. Well, unfortunately, I learned the hard way and the very expensive way of having uh, the majority of the, of the plumbers that we had. Robin is blind from our warehouse and from supply houses because we didn't have a proper PO process. And once I found out, I took care of all those problems and basically uh, started over in the plumbing world. But we now have a very tight PO process that came out of it. So, you know, there, there was a positive out of it. How did you discover it? Several tools that were showing up on on invoices and we weren't, you know, they were, when they were only getting one or two at a time, it wasn't, it didn't show up that much because guys buy tools occasionally when, and we know that, but one guy went in and bought, I was just like three or $4,000 on one in one clip. And then when we started questioning that, then it came out very quickly. And then of course, then we started digging and then I quit digging because it was just too painful to even look at. <laughs> oh, no. I, mean, I know of I know of over 50 grand for sure. And I just stopped looking. So it's probably 75 to 100 if I had to guess. But And what were the steps or checks that are put in place now to keep that from happening? What have you learned and what can. Well, so now, I mean, well, we we uh, we don't allow them to even go without calling and, and getting a P.O. from the office now. And then we increased our consignments that are in our warehouse. And then we're doing, and then we tightened up the inventory on all the vehicles in every trade, not just plumbing. Um, Plumbing was one of the smallest division, was the smallest division even when I got rid of it, but they managed to do some severe damage in that amount of time, so. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. And thanks for letting (laughs) me jump, jump right in there. I think that our, contractor listeners can identify with finding a hole in the bucket and taking action. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was very quick. And, uh, unfortunately that we couldn't even get the, the city of Louisville police department. We tried to prosecute a couple of them and they wouldn't even do anything with it. They told us civil action. And I'm like, how, how can that be a civil action when a guy goes in there and blatantly rips you off, but they wouldn't do anything about it. How many employees did you end up having to part with? Eight or nine, I believe. Oh, wow. Now, there's a couple of them that weren't really involved. They were just innocent victims, but they all, everybody knew what was going on. So they all, they're all gone. Got it. Well, 
Let's start at the beginning. Um, I didn't plan to open the conversation there, but that was kind of top of mind from our discussion. Okay. I met you a few years ago. I want to say three or four years ago. And I think at the time you had kind of figured out the garage door business and you were going to get into home services. And I believe when I met you, it was pre HVAC plumbing. Yes, it was 2018. I, I mean, because I met you at the first event, I went to see a warrior is when I, uh, you know, the first time I met you. So and you show up as a garage door keep, guy. You just keep showing up. I can't get away from you. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the same about you. And, and we've crossed paths multiple times since then. So right, right. I don't know what that says, but I'm going to think about that. That's interesting. <laughs> where I go. I have a funny, this isn't a really a funny story, but when we were, um, we crossed paths again up in Lexington at the Keeneland racetrack. And right. I remember I had, you know, we'd met that morning with a couple of folks and we're driving over to the racetrack and I'm in a small, tiny rental car and, um, you know, cramming in as much work as I can in between the meeting we were at and the racetrack, just kind of like I normally do kind of frazzled. And, um, I'm driving down the highway and I look up and I'm doing like, I'm blowing past cars in my little Kia soul or whatever I'm driving. And I look up and you're in a pearl white, I want to say GMC Sierra or yeah. an F-250, one or the other. And you're doing like, 65 and a 65 cruise control chilling. And I thought to myself, like, Paul, you need to get it together because um, if Vince isn't willing to get a speeding ticket on the way here, you can probably, you can take your time. Anyways, completely random story. So in 2018, you get interested in home services. You'd already been in the garage door business. Talk to me about the garage door business and then what, what was going on in 2018. So I started that company in 2008. Um, after I, I was in the new construction world at that time in Florida and when everything crashed, I found myself without a, without a job. And so that at that time, I, that's when I opened up, I moved back to Kentucky. It's where I'm born and raised and, uh, started the garage door company. And we went and from 2008 to 2018, I grew that to just right around a million dollars in revenue annually. But it had been there, I guess in 16 is when we hit a million because we had been at a million for three years in a row. And uh, and we kind of hit a wall and when kind of, we did hit a wall at that point. And I decided I'm gonna start educating myself and, and I'm either gonna grow this thing big to where I'm not in the truck every day or I'm going to go find another job because this sucks. So anyway, I, I started listening to podcasts and I came across Mike Aguilero. And then of course that led me where, I mean, of course, anybody that's in a home service business, the moment that you start typing anything about CEO warrior, you're going to see them in Facebook for the next 10 years. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, I, I, uh, I went to that service business live event. That's where I met you and, uh, joined then joined at their lowest level that they had. And of course I continue, I'm, I'm a avid reader or a listener, I guess from audible. I don't really read anything. I listen, but you know, since that time I've, I've got like 300 books in my Audible account. I listen to seven or eight different podcasts regularly. And then I participate heavily in CEO warrior. And, and from that time, I mean, we have grown, exponentially from 18 till to today. Talk to me about, so 2008, you're in Florida, new mm -hmm. construction. We all know what happens there. There's mm -hmm. tons of listeners who can identify with that. Was that a soft landing back to Kentucky or was that one of those really kind of humble moves? Like, dang, what do I do? Oh, it was a, it was an extremely humble move. Yeah. It, it was, it was pretty painful. Yeah. You I mean, kids, uh, kids at the time or. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I went from, I ran a concrete division for a big production home builder. So when that stuff happened, I had 150 employees that worked under me. I had two or 300 subcontractors that worked under me, you know, and I was making a very good living. And, and basically in a 90 day period, it went from wide open to screeching halt. Yep. And I left before the wheels completely fell off because I saw the writing on the wall. But, uh, in uh, early 2009, the company filed bankruptcy. And to put it in perspective, in 2006, they did over a billion dollars in revenue at like 50 something percent gross margin. It was it was ridiculous. And 
But I mean, it were, I mean, their their, their fault. The, how they went down is just they bought so much land because they were selling so many houses, and it crashed. And now they got land that's worth pennies on the dollar. Nobody wanted it, and no one was buying houses for quite some time. So they, I mean, it wasn't really anything they did wrong, other than right. they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, and when you opened up in Kentucky, did you do any new construction still, or was that completely dead? Did you go straight into service? I went straight into service. While I was down there, I had one of my um, good friends was in the garage door business. And for several years, he had tried to convince me to get into the garage door business. And I'm like, man, I'm a concrete guy where I'm not doing any garage doors. You know, I don't know how you can make money in garage doors, but my whole exposure to garage doors is new construction. So I did, really didn't know. But once I went through that whole deal in the new construction world, I, I made it. I made the decision at that time that I was not going to go down that path again. I was going to get some, get into something that was far more recession proof than uh, than new construction because that that was kind of the, that was much worse. But I'd already been through them a couple of times, you know, since I've been since I was out of college, you know, up and down in the economy, and it's just so economy driven where what we do now, it, it almost doesn't have any bearing on it at all. So you grow the business, you get it to a million dollars, but mm -hmm. you want to take it to the next level. You find yourself in New Brunswick, New Jersey at, mm -hmm. I believe it's New Brunswick. At yeah. CEO Warrior. Event. I think it is. Talk about the process from there. So it was just a lot of that is just, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, I left there and I'm pretty excited about it. We went back and started, uh, I had joined Service Titan, I probably three or four months before I went to that event. That's right. And uh, we weren't using it really at all, hardly. I mean, we were really just still using it as a dispatching software. So once I got enlightened about average tickets and closing rates and, and how to price, I mean, literally within three months, I, we tripled the business. Um, I mean, it, it, I doubled, we doubled our average tickets almost overnight. Um, the closing rates went up. We put in checklists that we didn't have before, um, or a form. I think it's called on Service Titan, not a checklist, but either way, same thing. Yep. And then, uh, you know, really enforced the whole sales process. So we would double on our average tickets. And then, uh, and then in that three month period, we doubled the number of technicians that we had. So we went from 1 million to tracking 3 million. I mean, almost immediately. Um, just in garage doors, just garage, doors. garage door service. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, at that point, I really was not, I had no idea that I would ever be in the other trades. I mean, right. I was strictly, I was a garage door guy and that's all I was concerned about. Was Tommy Mello, in the mix at that point was he in your ear yet with podcasts or anything along those lines? yeah I, I yes i was listening to his podcast as well i mean that's why i bought service titan i've told him i mean i, I know him pretty well now but but yeah that that's i mean he was one of the influences that really triggered some of the the, the tracking and you know and then when i went to where people had processes in place and it, here you go you basically print them out make a few modifications and then put them in place so that that made the process much easier and then just having somebody to be accountable to you know that's the other the other side to it i think everyone needs that to be honest with you yeah before we get into the growth in home services outside of garage doors i'm stuck on tommy Mello because i'm fascinated by him and i'm just curious what your perspective is on kind of tommy and where he sits among all the leaders in the industry the guy seems to really have some something special. And I don't know if you, he is a hard charger. There is no doubt about that. I think it's going to be difficult for him to complete his whole plan, but now in terms of how he, how he runs the garage door business, I mean, we're, we're fairly similar in terms of process. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and, and there's several people out there that really follow that same process, but I, I, I mean, he could be successful in the big markets, but, it, it will definitely be challenging to find enough managers that can work unsupervised and be spread out all over the country where you're, because, you know, when you're running only five or six, seven technicians, I would imagine that's extremely challenging, but so far he seemed to have pulled it off. So he can, he may prove me wrong, but 
I am, my belief is that you should really dominate where you're at in terms of all trades, more so than trying to spread out all over the country. Yeah. But yeah, I know his goal, I think, is a billion dollars now or something that, he's, that his goal is, I believe. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that would be impossible in the markets that we're in right now. Um, are virtually impossible. So we have to spread out to do that. But but you could still be regional and hit that, you know, hit that kind of number and and really dominate with just taking advantage of, of your own customer base. I mean, and that that's a lot of what fueled us. I know you're probably gonna go there in a minute, so I won't jump the gun, but No, you're fine. But I mean that's what and I've told him this. I mean, we've had conversations about it. You know that I I was really surprised that he didn't go down the road of, of adding more trades versus trying to take over the country. But we'll see. Seems like I mean at least from afar, it seems like everything he touches turns to gold. And I'm just curious what sets him apart or what that unique thing is. Like he's got everybody's support, mm-hmm. and seems to be everywhere. Seems to be a complete open book. What's so special? How does he do it? Uh, well, I mean, he's definitely determined. There's no, no doubt about that. But I mean, he is uh, he is very strict on his on his processes. Yeah. You know, I mean, every successful business. I mean, I know me we, before the show we mentioned talked about Ken Goodrich and um, you know all those guys that are at the top have unbelievably strict processes and procedures for how everything is running the company. Now yeah. that was a big thing for me to get through my thick head that 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 needed to be done and throughout our company so you know we've got some pretty tight i mean some of our processes and procedures i would say probably most are very tight but then of course like you know just the po deal you know that we already talked about you know we weren't tight there and i found out the hard way what happens when you're not tight there right so you know so we we constantly work on those i've got a list of several that i that I'm working on right now, just updating because they are loose. I mean, they work, but the tighter you get that, the, it gives you the ability to scale much faster. And that's the only way you could do it in a multi-state deal, like what Tommy's trying, you know, attempting to yeah. pull off. So, Is there or are there tools or frameworks that you have used to successfully implement new processes? Or do you find yourself or have you found yourself at times just saying like, okay, we're going to do it this way, and then we're going to do it this way, and then we're going to do it this way? Uh, well, I mean, most of what we've done, especially since we've been gotten into the licensed trade side, I mean, we pulled CEO Warrior has most of that stuff already done. So we we pull it off. We'll change some ver- a little bit of verbiage that is different just to our market and put our logo on it and run with it or at least use it as a guide if it's if it's something that's quite a bit different than what than what we currently do. But I mean, we. We follow their model pretty closely, and I, I really think that almost all of the major players are going to be, you know, whether they're using Nexstar or any of the other big training organizations. I mean, they're for the most part, there's only one way to do a lot of this stuff, you know. And now that you can put all, a lot of little tweaks on it, but it's just a matter of doing the simple things over and over and over and doing them the correct way. Yep. What I love about doing podcasts like this is I'm I'm selfishly asking that question because I feel like as a leader in my organization, I'm like running around changing direction with it for everyone else. So oh, now we're going to do it this way and we're going to do it this way and we're going to duct tape this and we're going to do that. And that I have a pile of processes and they're not, there's not a lot of continuity with them. Yeah. And um, so I'm sure other folks can identify with that. So you, you tripled the size of the garage door business. Mm-hmm. You decide to go in multi-trade. You're in how many markets at that time? And then talk to me about like what that growth. So, so what happened, I mean, and what got me into it, I, I hired a, a field manager for my garage, for the garage door guys. And, and so I took him with me back to the next service business live event, just so he could get a deep dive into CEO warrior. Yep. And of course I'd already seen the presentation and it gets tweaked a little bit every time, but it's very similar. And I, as I'm hearing these, most of the people in the room are HVAC and plumbers. And as I'm seeing these guys talk and I'm hearing these talk on revenue, you know, and I was like, you know what? 
if those idiots over there that that are talking can do this, I know I can murder it in in HVAC and plumbing because I mean some of them shouldn't have been there. A lot of them probably shouldn't have been there. But uh, so anyway, that's I made the decision that day and I came up with my 90 day plan of what I was going to do. And a lot of them told me I was crazy. And we actually started in about 60 days. So but, you know, but anyway, from there, so I started HVAC first. Plumbing was about a month behind. Electrical was about a year after that. Um, I really had no intent on starting electrical, but we 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 were we were running into a lot of demand for electrical circuits that just came from HVAC jobs. And then I had a guy showed up, I got referred to me that was wanting to kind of do his own thing, but didn't have enough money to do it. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. So we started electrical. But anyway, from the, from that second year, um, we went from 3 million to 5 million in revenue. And we weren't real good at HVAC employment at that time. You know, that year we ran probably one and a half install crews in HVAC. I think we had maybe three plumbers. So there, there, I learned a lot of lessons there. I mean, a major mistake I made there was thinking, you know, I thought, man, when I get in these license trade, it's going to be so much easier to hire because all these guys have licenses and they're going to know what they're doing. And my God, that was the biggest mistake ever. Interesting. So, yeah. Because um, in the garage door world, there is no license. I mean, you know, we can typically take a guy in, yeah. in two months. You know, we have to almost everyone we have to train from from being completely green. Mm-hmm. But of course, that that helps us too because they don't have a bunch of bad habits. Where in HVAC, it's you know, that's it, a constant battle, and I'm I'm sure you've heard that story many times. But I didn't really believe it, and I, I found out the hard way. So we. The, the initial group of plumbers and HVAC guys, I, I cleaned the slate and started over over a few month period. And I guess then that would be in like 19, early 20. Yep. So, and then the next year, that's when we, I, I brought the next guys I brought in were much better than the first. I thought were really, really good. I found out later that they maybe weren't as good as I thought. But, but anyway, we went from, uh, Let's see, I went one, three, I went from three to five, and then we went from five to 10. So we doubled the next year. Yeah. And and about halfway through that five to 10 jump is when I got the current people that I have in there that where I found them and then I, and I kind of weeded through the bad actors and, and really brought, you know, the guys we have now are very talented yeah. and and we, I won't say that we're the master of all, you know, by any means, but, but we, we pretty much know what we're doing on it now and, and can put out a good consistent product. And so anyway, we went from five to 10 and then this year we'll finish this year, probably about 17. We would have been at 22 if it wasn't for the plumbing deal. That was the original plan. But next year uh, we're going to probably, we're, we're, we're expecting to do over 40 next year. So I'm planning on doubling again. And what is the split of that revenue across the different trades? Garage doors is about, it'll probably do about eight to 9 million this year. Um, HVAC is going to probably do seven, eight, some, yeah, probably seven. Plumbing is less than a half a million because that happened early in the year. We actually didn't really even have plumbing for about four months at all. And then, you know, a little bit of drain cleaning because you don't have to be licensed to clean drains. But we now have, I think we, we've got back up to six or seven plumbers within the last month. So we're, that's coming back quickly. Electrical, maybe a million in electrical. So that should be pretty close to 17. And how did you go for, because we're talking like astronomical growth in less than a four year period of time. Talk to me about like lead generation. Talk to me about recruiting. Like how, what tools did you have? What resources were you using? What worked? What didn't? I've got a million so questions. In lead generation, I mean, we we relied heavily uh, early on. And and I really think that everybody, I, this is one place that me and Tommy do agree. Tommy Mello do agree on completely is that you need to be dominating Google before you do much of anything else. Yep. So your, your Google My Business page, you need to own it. You need to have the most reviews and continually getting them even when you do have the most reviews. 
you need to be at least present and pay per click and you need to have a good website, you know, and that's where I think that everyone should really focus initially because no matter what media that you use, people go to Google. So you got to be there and you got to be all over it if you want to be relevant. So, uh, you know, we, we pretty well maxed that out on the, on the door business a few years ago. And then we started doing radio ads and then that led into some TV and we do a few billboards as well. TV and uh, now right as of today, TV is the, the biggest, you know, single spin that we do. And then pay-per-clicks behind it, but we're kind of backing away from pay-per-click because it, it's just so expensive. I mean, it, it, you're just trading dollars a lot of times, you know, when you're paying $150, $200 a lead, you know, to be, to get on the job anyway, not to get, make right. the phone ring. That's a different ball game, yeah. you know, and the, the quality of the pay-per-click leads is nowhere near what the quality is that comes in from almost all the other lead sources. I mean, Google LSA is by far the best. If I, if I had to pick one, you know, the, in terms of cost per, per lead and quality of customer, the LSA ones, well, after referrals, referrals sure. are first or, yeah. or in, in repeat customers, but marketed leads, I think LSA, there's no comparison that that's the, that's the best of the bunch. But of course you, I don't even know if I told you I hired them, but after I listened to Ryan shoot, come on the podcast, we've hired wizard of ads. That was not a cheap venture, but I'm very excited about it now that we're involved in it, but that really won't go live fully live for another few months as they're putting together their whole plan for us. But, and with several things that we're doing, changing up in marketing, but that's a major factor of it. That's going to really drive growth for next year. Uh, let's go back to, you mentioned LSAs and I'm pretty clear. You were very emphatic on the fact that that's the most important part of Google for you or mm -hmm. effective. Do you manage that in-house or do you use an agency? How do you, what are we some things that in-house? I, I have a girl in-house, Casey, but yep. she's wonderful. But yeah, she does all that. She, she manages that. And then, but we, you know, we're big on the reviews or, you know, we, we, the whole deal with them is how quickly you answer the phone and do you answer the phone when you say you're going to answer the phone and do you get reviews and did you complete the job? And, you know, and so, and then giving Google feedback, she stays on that daily on whether we, you know, whether it was, I don't know the, all the terminology because I'm not the one doing it, but I know she get, goes through that feedback loop on whether we did the job or didn't book it or, or putting in for credit if it really wasn't a lead and Google said it was a lead. And we've been doing that for, well, I mean, since it really came out, we were the one of the first ones to do it and uh, in our market anyway. And so, I mean, we, we, we consistently stay up in the top and the doors were first always and the other trades. I mean, we're, it's amazing how much that's picked up in the last two years in the, in the OSA side. Now you mentioned wizard of ads working with Ryan shoot. Mm -hmm. Talk to me two things here. Talk to me about what they're going to be doing for you and two, share with me. Like, is that something you should have done earlier? Is it something? Oh, well, I mean, number one, they probably want to take me earlier just because of, you know, I mean, they, they don't want to deal with people until they're, till they know that you're going to do a lot of revenue. I mean, cause they're paid on performance. And if you're doing probably less than $5 million, I don't think that he even, that he want to mess with you cause it's not worth their time. And I, I mean, and I don't want that to sound awful, but, and I, and until they really engage with this, I didn't really, I did kind of myself think that was a little awful cause there's not that many companies around that do 5 million. And, but I mean, when they came in to our office and five guys came and I mean, grilled us for a day, I mean, all day long, it was supposed to be two days, but they said they got enough out of the first day after 12 hours, they had enough, I guess. Was Ryan there in office? Oh yeah. 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 They so all, this they is, all this is what you don't see. Like no one talks about this process. So Ryan and four other people mm -hmm. roll in to mm -hmm. your Elizabethtown, right? Well, well I, they came to the Louisville office, but uh, they talked to some of the people in Elizabethtown just on the phone. So yeah, they, they had me and the whole senior leadership team in, in the, in our meeting room grilling us all day long on, you know, what we do good, what we do bad, what we like to do, what we don't like to do, what, what, you know, 
any anything that you could think of. And, you know, some of it's a little painful because <laughs> you know, right. they, they found a weak point and they just dig in because they don't want to run ads that are going to affect you negatively by accenting weak points that you have. So they want to know what the strong points are. And that's what we're going to go after. You know, so two of the guys were ad writers. There's a couple of them that were media buyers. And then Ryan, I was pretty impressed with that. But I mean, when you see them roll in and talking about the companies that they've worked for and what the, and where they've gone to and from. And, and honestly, I mean, when I, after I got his information from you, I mean, I went through a, probably a three hour phone call of being interviewed before they would even talk to me. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it was quite a bit different. I've never had any ad agency like run you through an interview to see if you'll give them money. So, so talk about the paid for performance model, how you perceived it, how you anticipate that will work and how that compares to different ways you've paid ad agencies over the years. So, I mean, almost all the other are either a, either a pay per lead or a subscription based model. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the Google stuff pretty much is, is a pay per lead type scenario or pay per click or however you want to call it. It's a pay per lead. Ultimately, of course, the, I know you're pretty familiar with it, but the website stuff, that's all pretty well a subscription-based model. Yeah. And uh, of course, TV and radio, you know, you're, ju you're just buying airtime. And, you know, with them, the the payment model is a, I mean, it's 1% of revenue. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that or not, but, sure. you know, you can do the math very quickly. If we're doing $10 million and it's 1% of revenue, that is not a very small check to write to anybody. And that's basically the entry point to get in the game with them, yep. you know, but you know, their, their expectations is to uh, take us over a hundred million dollars and that's my goal. And so, you know, then it's, then it's real big boy money at that time. Uh, yeah. 1% of re revenue. So does that, that would then cover all the ad spend that would cover all the things. So you both have skin. In no, the no, no, the, the, that's it. That's for them to design the ads and to purchase the ads. I still have to pay for the ads on top of, you know, of them putting them together. So, you know, I, it, but with somebody that's buying media that buys millions and millions and millions of dollars of media a year, they have much more buying power than what one company does going into the local guy and being, cause I mean, I, I mean, when we buy, you know, the, of course every sales guy in the world tells you you're getting the best price there ever was. And I, you know, how do you, how are you supposed to know? Cause they bring out all this data that, you know, no one can really fish through unless you're really an expert in that world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, I mean, they have got, they have people that strictly buy TV and strictly buy radio and they know what they're looking for. And, you know, unfortunately, almost our entire TV and radio ad strategy, once they explain how they do it and what they do, I realized, okay, yeah, we've been pretty much doing it wrong on every single ad we've ever ran and continue to run today. Yeah. <laughs> I totally understand that. So, so on the path to a hundred million, what's your time frame? What's the, I think what, I mean, well, the initial goal we set for that last year, um, we wanted to do it in five years, but I actually think we'll be able to do it faster than that. Now wow. I really, I really think we'll be there in three. That's unbelievable. So when you look back at the growth this far, you've had years where you've doubled, what were the hardest parts of that? Like, was there ever a task more specifically, was there ever a point in which I like to use this analogy because I've physically done this, but is, was there ever a point at which you were over your skis? Like you were out a little too far ahead and you spent a little too much money on marketing or you hired a little too heavy. And how did that, how, how'd you sleep at night through that process? Cause it all worked out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've gone both ways um, dramatically where I either overhired and we didn't have the leads coming in quick enough. And then we, and I mean, the, now that the position we're in, we have more leads than we can even, that we can do, but it's trucks are a problem, of course, right now because of COVID. But we're still getting them. We're just not getting as many as we liked to have had at the at the time. We want to have them, depending on the trade. So, I, and and this has been the crazy thing in HVAC. I really don't have a problem getting employees right now, and that's just changed in the last year. Uh, I don't. I I'm assuming because 
of the growth that we've had and and people want to go where you know employees want to go where companies are growing just so there's more opportunity but i mean we had we we don't even really have we're not even sponsoring ads now we have we'll get three four five applicants a day for hvac so i I am in a fortunate place there but it's the complete opposite in plumbing you know we 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 those the plumbers trickle in and we do sponsor those ads but now that's one of the things that Wizard of Ads is actually working with us on that as well to redesign ad campaigns for employees as well as for leads. But back to the original question, I mean, it was uh, that that has been a and will probably always be a constant struggle of maintaining that balance. But of course, the ad campaign that Wizard of Ads really runs is to to get the more loyal customer base and not advertise on specials and one time only deals. And, you know, and that's the kind of ads that we typically have been running on TV and, and radio so that it changes up that whole, that whole customer acquisition of it, uh, on the, I guess on the type of buyer that, that you're getting, you know, when you're not getting that, I want to find the cheapest, deal out there buyer versus you want a buyer that wants quality and wants to know you're the guy that's going to show up when you say you're going to show up and get the job done and fix something if there is a problem that, that whole deal when you think about buyers you know when you entered the space in 2018 i mean obviously you've been in this much longer how much has the buyer changed particularly through covid you know you've got people requesting virtual sales calls you've got the rise in you know everyone trying to give sell direct online or whatever. Have you noticed any difference that's measurable with your consumer? Not really. I mean, because, and I, and I believe this about almost any company out there. I think that your own word, you know, your biggest enemy is looking at you in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And I mean, cause we really don't, we don't really gauge anything we do on what our competitors are doing. I really don't care. And the more that the, the more that we revi- refined our, process and really dialed in on how we run a call, the more successful that we are. So now, yeah, there, there's been little blips here and there, especially during the peaks of COVID where just people didn't want us in the house. But I mean, it's very difficult to fix a furnace if you can't go in the house. Now on the sales call end of it, we, we've tinkered with some virtual, I mean, and we're probably going to go down that road a little more anyway. But, and this may sound crazy, it has nothing to do in my mind with the customer wanting a, a virtual, because it's not, it's gonna be like a hybrid we're gonna do, but it has more to do with, I can control what that sales guy does when he's sitting at a computer right next to me and I know what he's presenting and not that, oh yeah, I, I told him about the, uh, the Dave Lennox signature line, but now they didn't want it, you know, right. so. Now I'm going to know whether or not he's presenting the top one, top options and not coming in with the bare minimum, you know, efficiency equipment. Just and we, we've already started it and the results are through the roof. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be the next thing that a lot of people move to, to be honest with you. That would be like a virtual or a hybrid type of sales call. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it's, I, don't, I don't really hide anything we do, but. Sure. So, I mean, the issue we had, um, we go we send a technician out there. Yeah, the system's 25 years old. Yeah, we could probably repair it, but it's a waste of money. You need a, you need a comfort advisor, so we flip it. So yeah. what we were doing and still do a little bit today, you know, we try to get that comfort advisor out there as quickly as possible. Very rarely does that happen within an hour. And, and ideally, I would love for that service guy to be there and literally hand it off but it's like next to impossible for that to happen. So, you know, we, we, we've already spent 30 minutes to an hour with that customer, got them in the buying mood. They are ready to go. And now we got to wait to wait three hours, two hours, maybe the next morning, depending on what time it is to get them there. And, And I'm sure I'm the only one, but we don't close every single deal that we go to. So then, you know, the service guy's gone. So then we lose a repair too. So, you know, because now they're going to shop if they, you know, oh, you're expensive. So we don't want to buy from you. So they're going to shop. So that's where, that's where I decided, you know what, we ought to try this virtually and do a hybrid deal 
and you know split that commission up a little bit with our service techs and because they're going to be doing a little bit more of the groundwork i'll say of doing low calculations and you know just gathering information some of that they already do in their checklist so they it was that part of it was being duplicated and then we put i robbed this from uh but we call them project managers now instead of comfort advisors. They get oh, that's an that's an Ishmael thing, and yeah, I, Ishmael, that's exactly that where I got it. Yeah. But, but so because people don't want to talk to salespeople, and so when they're on the now, when when it's getting flipped, you know, he can call in or text in, "Hey, I'm going to need you in 30, 40 minutes." And of course, we can see live what he's doing on Service Titan. So as he's taking pictures. The sales guy can be all completely prepped for that for that job, and and then we present, and then it's a thirty minute deal. It's not a two hour deal. I imagine the customer enjoys that process more than waiting. Oh, absolutely. Well, and but and because the big deal, I mean, what got the flip anyway was they love the service guy. Now the service guy gets to participate, you know, instead of the sleazy sales guy that's going to walk in. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, that's their perception, I believe, a lot of times. Yeah, I, I fully support the project manager nomenclature or whatever they want to call it, naming mm-hmm. convention, like as simple as it is, that tells a different story to the homeowner. And the the word, you know, comfort consultant was born out of old, dusty sales training. It's right. Well, and so part of what we do and where it really solidifies that is walking so that that sales guy or project manager he walks that service technician through the steps that he was supposed to do so now we're verifying we have a strict process we're the only guys that do this and so we walk them through that whole process so it just reinforces to that customer that man these guys you know they really know what they're doing and so you're setting the stage for the close before we ever even bring out one piece of, you know, present one, any equipment at all. So, yeah. and there again, I'm sure we're the one that I'm the only one that had this problem. So, but we had this during the sales present presentation, the majority of the sales guys really do not plan out how effective they can be with how you move financing around. Mm-hmm. And if they use the same finance, program and offer four different systems, then that number gets, that monthly payment gets all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of times it pushes them to buy the low end stuff. If you don't know how to move the, the financing options around when you present options. So now when, you know, we're putting together templates now of, you know, here is how you have to do it. You have to do it in front of us. You're going to screen share it. So we're going to see what you're doing. And so now in the now you can make those payments look more attractive on the high end than the low end, you know, and there'll be there'll be a few people that really dig, you know, dive deep into, you know, OK, well, how many years and how many what's the rates? And but for the most part, they don't. I mean, they really just want to know what's that monthly payment and uh, and know that the interest rate just isn't too excessive. Most of the time, we're going to be around eight or nine percent on what we present, as long as they have fairly decent credit. But since we've gone to that model, I mean, it's it's been impressive. So, what do you think about the absence of a technician, the absence of a project manager? The homeowner is curious; they want to get an idea of a ballpark. Um, they're going to go online. Who knows where they'll land? Home Advisor, Angie's List, Modernize. None of these people are paying me. I should not say their names. <laughs> what's your philosophy on that? Like, have you, I know, obviously, you know, you're a customer of mine, but what's your thought about giving the customer a quote online? Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're going to be starting that any day. I don't know when it actually goes live, but I mean, we're the next phase. Once we, once I feel like we've somewhat perfected this hybrid virtual model, we are going to experiment with the total virtual but the problem that I see, what, what I anticipate that's going to happen is we're going to offer the virtual and that is going to allow us just to get in the door because most customers aren't going to want to get their tape measures out. They're not going to want to go and, and give you all the information that you need, crawling in attics, crawling in crawl spaces, and they're not going to do that stuff someone has to do it. So, but if we can get in there initially with the just true virtual 
and lay just a little bit of groundwork of what we're going to do and why we need to be in there before we can give you that 100% accurate price. And we can give you some ranges of price that'll weed out those transactional buyers that are just looking for the, you know, the mythical $6,000 system because they saw it on Facebook. Yeah. And to the people that are more realistic on, uh, on what stuff costs, you know, and, and wanting, wanting to have, you know, reliable contractors put it in. So, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and I love the idea of taking an existing buying cycle, which is you get a ballpark of something, then you figure out exactly what you need. Then you get the details like that exists in almost every other category. But in our mm -hmm. world, it's like, Nope, sorry, you can't have a ballpark until so-and-so crawls in your, your attic. And now you're like, in this awkward dance of revealing price. And yeah, I think you meet the customer halfway. Like you can't give them an exact quote, but you can give them an idea and right. keep them from getting that question answered. You mentioned Google earlier, keep them from getting that question answered somewhere else. So mm -hmm. I think we'll work well together. Yeah, we always have. You seem really plugged into what's going on in the industry. You mentioned you read a ton, you listen to a lot of podcasts. Who are some of the key individuals out there that you've learned from or key resources? You're still in CEO Warrior today, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I will probably be there forever until I, until I decide to get out of the business anyway. Interesting. I mean, I, I've seen people stay in groups like that for a long period of time because they're more community based. Um, I don't know if CEO War is really still community based. I'm not really sure. I'm, you know, again, friends with people over there and, and I'm a big fan of what they've done. But you're pretty committed. What is it? What is it that keeps you going back? Well, I mean, I, well, like I said earlier, I think that if you want to be really successful and continue to grow, you have to have some type of accountability and coaching just to push you a little bit to do something, yeah. you know, because. You know, recently we had the, had CEO Warrior do an on-site visit. Mike Disney and um, Jason Knoll came in and there was very few things that they pointed out to us that I didn't already know was a problem. Mm -hmm. you know? But when someone else literally points it out and says it and writes it down and says, okay, you got 30 days to fix it and here's the name next to it that is going to fix it. You know, we probably had a hundred, hundred items on our list and, and the whole senior management staff has different jobs to do. And we have to meet about it in two more weeks, I think maybe next week. I can't remember yeah. the exact date. And we've got the majority of them done. We probably won't have them all done completed, but there is no way that we would have went as hard as we did to fix all those issues. If we didn't have somebody holding us to the fire to do that. And you know, for even though a lot of people think it's expensive to do it, you're burning money by not spending that money to have that accountability. I mean, I'm one of the biggest drivers there is. I mean, I've, uh, I mean, I'll rank right up there with the Tommy Mellows yeah. <laughs> of being a driver. And I still will let some issues sit just because I don't I don't feel like messing with that today. And then that usually leads to a week or two weeks or three weeks. And and now how much money did I burn through? allowing stuff to happen that I know shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I'm favored to see a warrior, but I know that there's other groups out there that do, you know, some somewhat similar, you know, things and in, in terms of accountability and coaching. But I think that everybody should be in one of them if they want to really be successful. I'm so convicted by what you're talking about because I keep a stack of things on my desk that if I, if I stack it, I feel like I'm prioritizing it, but then I never get to it and mm -hmm. time goes by. So maybe I need to join <laughs> CEO warrior. I mean, I mean, every, every business has, I mean, there's some kind of accountability group out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're involved in, I mean, I'm involved in a couple other ones now as well, but yeah. not to the extent that I, that I do with them. Now I did something that, I promised myself and by extension, my listeners, I would never do. And that was, I asked the question, then I talked about myself and then I asked another question and didn't let you answer. So I'm going to go back to that or I won't sleep at night, but what are some of, or who are some of the people that were most influential in your journey that you've met, whether you've met them afar, whether you've you know just read their content online, it seems like you're pretty plugged in, but you also kind of hang in the background. So who are some of those people that you're learning from? Well, of course, Mike Aguilero initially, and then now Mike Disney at CEO Warrior. Yeah, he's probably been the the number one influence. Tommy Mello, a lot of what 
what he talks about, we implemented. You know, I mean, he says it on it still today on his podcast, you know, same thing. I'll tell everybody what I, what I do because 99.9% of them would never do it anyway. Yeah. So I can, it doesn't matter. And, and I told him first time I met him, like, look, dude, I'm the 0.1% that does do what you said that should be done. And it shows. So, but, uh, those, those are two of the biggest, um, well, I mean, meeting you and your former employer, I don't know if you want me to mention him or not, but no, that's know. fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Chris at Rhino. I mean, that, that there was a lot of positive stuff we got out of there and, and we're now moving with them. It, I think we'll officially be there by the time this airs because there's, they're, they're not active today, but let's see, who, uh, Josh Kelly. I mean, I, 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 I'm do a little bit with his group and, you know, he, in the last year, there was a lot of little things that we got from there. I mean, they teach a lot of the same process. So, you know, 90% of what they teach is very similar to what CEO Warrior teaches, but there was just a few little tweaks that Parker did. You know, I'm not, I know that's where he got it from, but well, I'm pretty confident that's where he got it from. Sure. But they, there were some little tweaks that we did on presentation that he put out there. I'm like, man, that's freaking genius. Sure. And yeah. So, you know, I mean, one of them, how we named our options, I'll just say, well, no, I won't say it because he probably don't want me to put it to the world. But so we, we renamed our options with what he told us. And I mean, our, our conversion rate went up about, uh, it was between five and 10% literally overnight just by renaming options. Listeners will probably be able to see that on your new website in a couple of weeks. Yeah, possibly. Now, well, it's really more on the, on the service side with oh, how yeah. you name options, not, not on the, equipment side that that's a different naming sequence but it, it how you name options is d- directly affects how people buy so i can just assure you of that and before that we you know we did we had some guys that did good better best but most of them would name stuff just one two three i mean it just someone wouldn't name them at all you know i mean they're and and that little tweak made, you know, that, that was a big needle mover. I mean, like overnight, literally overnight. Um, when we did that, it, it took me two days to get it in just cause I couldn't meet with all of them the same day. So, and then of course I've, I've been to a few of the, uh, these best practice things. If you told me that I ever in my life, a few years ago that I would spend $10,000 to go and go sit with somebody for two days, I would be like, you're nuts. But now I do it on a fairly regular basis, apparently. So, you know, so there, there's several guys that, that go to those, you know, Ken Goodrich and was in there. I mean, uh, and we, the last one I went to uh, that Chris had at Rhino, I mean, there was one sentence that we got out of, or one little group that we got out of there from Leland about how we purchase equipment. And I can honestly say now it's going to change January 1st. But since I have been in the HVAC business for the last three years, our price has done nothing but go down. I have not gotten a price increase in three years. And the biggest decrease I got was when I left the Rhino event last year and heard what Leland said. And I called up my rep and we instantly made that change before I even got back. We set the stage for it. And so, I mean, that, that, that had, because I thought it was ridiculous to pay 10 grand to go to anything, but yeah. that move um, made a, I don't know, there's no telling what that really made. So that, that $10,000 was nothing for, for that one little blip. Now, the next time I go, cause we're at a, every time you go, you're at different levels. So yeah. you get different things. And the same thing with going to these CEO warrior events, it's the same information, but I'm not at the same place I was six months or a year ago. So now this information is coming to me in a different way than it would, you know, how I interpret it anyway, because I'm not at the position I was the last time. So, and I, I'm certain it's going to be that way again. When Leland shared, what did, what did Leland share? Did he share the... Uh, how, how to basically put a little bit of heat on your uh, suppliers. Yeah. But now it, with that, scale is a big deal. You know, exactly. if you're only buying couple hundred thousand dollars equipment a year, you don't have a whole lot of power with them. Yeah. You know, but, you know, at that point, you know, we were at that point, we were two years in and, you know, what I told these suppliers that we were going to do and all of them thought I was nuts. And then once we proved it, you know, now, 
I mean, we could literally buy from anybody we want to buy from now and they beat our doors down constantly. So it gives you a lot more power in that negotiation. And a lot of what he, it was really just to give you enough guts to go back and say, you know, just to know what it can, what can happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I think about it, it's kind of like me looking around the room at CEO Warrior before I got in the trades, just knowing what, knowing what the possibility is, gives you a, you know, at least gives me enough incentive to go after it. Yep. Uh, I have so many different comments I want to make and I want to be respectful of your time. One, I'm really proud of Chris and what he's done with Rhino X. Like it's one thing to have an event. It's another thing to charge people to come to that event. And it's another thing for people to spend $10,000 and say it was absolutely worth it. So kudos to his vision right. with that. I mean, he's had that vision for a long time and brought it to life a couple of years ago. Already paid for next year. It's crazy. Have you really? Good. <laughs> um, what's interesting about the Leland thing, there's a couple things I want to talk about here, but what's interesting about Leland is, you know, there's two types of negotiators and I've never negotiated directly with Leland, but I used to work somewhere where he's a big player. And, you know, there's really hard nosed people who I got, I learned this word from Chris, actually leverage preneurs. Like they just leverage, 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 make you feel awful and get as much as they can out of you. And those people behind closed doors, everyone at the manufacturers, distributors, they just despise those people, right? Like it's just hard. It's a tough, tenuous relationship, but you've got a guy like Leland who obviously is not overpaying for his right. Right. But if you were to talk to people, the manufacturer and distributors, the guy literally walks on gold. Like they just, he treats everybody with respect. So I think of like working with manufacturers and I still have a bias here because I worked there for, I worked at a manufacturer distributor for so long, but you know, there's two roles that a man, that a manufacturer distributor can play that most people don't think one is a bank and mm-hmm. two is an investor. Mm-hmm. And like Leland's approach is you can sit down in a professional setting with a manufacturer distributor and talk about a five or 10 year investment and they will invest, but right. you've got to tell the story. You've got to be a professional. So I circle all that to say, that is awesome that you got that out of Rhino X and that it makes stroking that 10,000. Yeah, unbelievably valuable. Unbelievably valuable. Good for you. Shout out, Chris. If you're listening, you're probably not, but I'll send this to you. Uh, I still listen to my old podcast, that old podcast. So very good. What, one last thing that I didn't, or two last things, but one thing I didn't mention earlier, I know listeners are going to wonder, but we talked a little bit about you having Louisville and Elizabethtown. Talk to me about your physical footprint, what it looks like. So we have three We have three locations. We have Louisville, Elizabethtown, and Lexington. Now, the door business is fully operational in all three and has been for quite some time. And we recently added the added HVAC to the Lexington market. So that that's we're new in into there. The Louisville and Elizabethtown area, they're actually in the same TV market. So it's just two separate offices, but the cities are separated by Fort Knox. So yep. even though it's in the same market, it's kind of like a different world. Along with, and, and I don't, well, I don't, know, I don't, I don't even know if you know, but when shortly after I got in, uh, got involved in CEO Warrior, I started a, another company where we wholesale garage doors. And that's based in Elizabethtown because Elizabethtown is pretty much dead center of the state of Kentucky. So it makes it very nice for us to be able to distribute doors statewide. And we're, we are the biggest distributor in, of garage doors in Kentucky now, too, by the way. Wow. Little side note on garage doors. Obviously, I don't know that business very well, but I did spend some time doing some research a couple of years ago for a client in a, a manufacturer. But it is a weird business. Like who owns who, who distributes where, who's got franchises, who's got company-owned facilities, who's competing against one another in the same market. Is it much messier than HVAC? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, because I mean, they're just, they're everybody has air conditioning, and no one wants to go without it. So you know, in a not every house has a garage door even the ones that do have them not all of them use them and the skill level to fix a garage door is nowhere near what the skill level is to fix a air conditioner yeah so and there's no license requirements for it but yeah the the manufacturers make that process extremely difficult to you know i mean that and, and it's different by market to market some markets a manufacturer will sell to everybody go, go an hour away. And now you can, you know, one manufacturer will only sell to this guy. And, and we deal with that in, in our market. I mean, some of them will sell to everybody. Some won't. Um, it's, it's a, 
that's just a weird deal. But um, I found one that that would. I mean, we use Safeway as our primary um, supplier, and Haas as a secondary. But um, both of them were would allow us to distribute, you know, throughout Kentucky. And I mean, that business. I mean, I, in four years, we've grown that from nothing. So this year we'll end up between eight and nine million dollars in revenue. So that's a lot of garage doors. So you've been very generous with your time and I know we're over, but I want to or over on time. I want to wrap with this final question or thought. You know, you've got plans to go to one hundred million dollars and the greatest indicator of your you know future capability is the past. You've been doubling the business that will happen. It would appear. What is the biggest thing that is on your roadmap to get there. And I'm looking at the sign over your, your shoulder that says nothing changes. If nothing changes, what are the changes or what are the things that are going to help you get to that $100 million mark? Well, I mean, the, the, the key was really getting that top man, that the top executive managers in place, you know, we've got, you know, the two at the very top, and then I guess three, four that are underneath them that hand, and one that handles each division. And it has been far easier to go from 10 to 20 than it was to go to five to 10. Mm-hmm. And but because now that we have our processes pretty well dialed in, I won't say that they're perfect, but they're, they're pretty tight. They're tighter than I would say the majority of people out there. Mm-hmm. Now it's just repeating that process. You know, I mean, we will have to find a few key field people along the way, but I really think the majority of them will come from within. I mean, is that that's the other thing that's helped propel the growth is that we've been able to produce our, some of our own people. I don't have the training program that in place that some of the people I know do, but I actually I, I don't remember Mike Brewer. You know, I heard him on the pod, on your podcast talk about all what he was able to do. I've reached out to him. We haven't actually met up yet but that's that's going to be the next level is to is to really create all of our own people because the the mind the mindset of all of them is really more important than anything and i and that was you know moving looking back that was one of the biggest things that held me up i thought that was crazy and voodoo and you know you didn't need to worry about mindset but i'm i did a 180 on that i mean that's to me more important than any of it when we're bringing on people that do you believe in what we're doing? Do you believe in this process? And I really don't care if you've been doing it for one day or you've been the 30 year person, you know, it does just cause you've been doing it for 30 years doesn't mean that you don't have one day experience and, re, and, and duplicated it for 30 years. <laughs> so, you know, that, that the key to, cause we, I mean, our goal is to give that ultimate customer experience and there's so few people out there, or companies out there that do that. And if you think you're going to come in and you came from mom and pop air conditioning and had no processes, you know, it doesn't fly. So, you know, the unfortunate part of that is we have a lot of turnover the first 30 days because guys in the interview, Oh, they'll tell you whatever you want to hear in that interview. And then you get them out there and get in a truck and then they refuse to do it. So yeah, we don't tolerate that. So our most successful ones are guys, what we would look for now and more than anything is have you, are you almost licensed? Can we bring you in here as an apprentice for six months or a year and then help you get your license? Those guys are rock solid. I mean, I, I, so I know if I can create them from scratch, that's gold, but we're not quite there yet. Do you do the hiring or do you do the ride along pre hiring or after you've hired them? Uh, after we hire them. It's it, we've we've tried that before. It's difficult to get guys to commit to doing anything because the the last thing I want to do is hire from the unemployment line. So yes. and if they have time to go ride in the truck before they're hired, then you probably don't want them anyway. Now, there are some exceptions to that. But I mean, now we get guys and, and I hate it because I'm sure it's happened to me as well. But it is not uncommon for me to pull in the parking lot and there'll be one or two competitors vehicles in our parking lot that because somebody's in an interview and I'm like, yeah, why did you do that? Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, 
it's, uh, that's just nature of the beast. I don't, I don't know how you can, I mean, I can't keep them, keep a guy from doing it, but, right. but I know what's happened to me because I've actually seen it on the GPS. I'm like, what the? <laughs> how do you measure or help shape the mindset? Or is that something that, is there a characteristic of an individual that they either have a good attitude or they're coachable? What is the one thing there? I mean, I'm almost of the opinion that, that almost every guy, every person that we interview is pretty much a buyer in that interview. And until you get them in that truck with somebody, that's when you really find out what they what they are, because almost everybody, you know, ever that, that you know, anyone's going through an interview, they're going to put the absolute best spin on everything. And until they get a little bit of a breakdown to, where they don't feel threatened and they're with another tech and, you know, so we'll put them with we'll make them do a ride along deal and uh, then you kind of find out the real them. But it's said that the pro- following our process of the checklist and completing it, and not lying about doing it. I mean, because anybody can click a check mark on a on a form, but to actually do it and click the check mark is something completely different. And you know, unfortunately, the average tickets and closing rates tell me more than anything about whether they did it. I don't even have to look at the form uh, on a over three or four calls, you know, averaged and I know whether or not they did it. So then we, you know, so the, 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 the biggest issue, I guess, with them is, you know, guys that, that want to present options with their own checkbook. I wouldn't pay that. That's a rip off. We shouldn't charge that much money. And they have no concept on what it, really takes to run a business. And they think if we charge $500 for a capacitor, I just put $499 in my pocket, you know? So th- that's the mind when you talk about my, or when I talk about mindset, that's, th- that's really the biggest thing is get that, get out of your own way sometimes. And here is, you know, just follow what we laid out and it works every single time it works. This episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Contractor Commerce, plug and play online stores for contractors. We see a future where every contractor has an online store. 